Well, good morning. Welcome to Pinion Hills Community Church. Thanks for joining us. Who's excited to be here this morning? Yeah, me too. Hey, normally I don't give shout-outs for birthdays because throughout the course of the year we have thousands of people that come through our facility, but I do want to give a shout-out to everybody that has a birthday this coming Saturday because this Saturday is February 29th, which means that people having a birthday this coming Saturday, it's Leap Day. They haven't had a birthday in four years. And so I wanted to, to tell you happy birthday if you happen to be here, if you're watching the live stream. Happy birthday, Leap Babies, because nobody celebrates your birthdays unless it's every four years. So I wrote you a song in honor of your birthday. <clears throat> you ready for it? Here it goes. Happy, happy birthday. It's been a long four years. Happy, happy birthday. It's time to dry your tears. Hey! <laughs> Thank you. Happy birthday, Leap Babies. Today, we're continuing on in our series called Drift. It's all about, about relationships. We've been talking about this for the last couple of weeks. I came across a story recently uh, that perhaps you've even seen in the news. It was about two years ago. There was a cargo ship that left the coast of Africa, and it was uh, full with a, a, a captain, a whole crew. They're setting sailing, and, and as they go... They're experiencing some engine trouble. So the crew tries to work on the engine. They can't get it working. And at one point, the entire engine gets cut altogether. There's no power to the ship whatsoever. So they're just ducks in the water. They can't go anywhere. They're in the middle of nowhere. No ships around them. No land as far as the eye can see. So the captain gets on the radio. Mayday, mayday, mayday. We can't do anything with our ship. We're just stuck drifting in the middle of the ocean. Well, the U.S. Coast Guard hears the mayday. So they dispatch a rescue team. The rescue team of the U.S. Coast Guard shows up. And they can't get the ship working either. So they pull the entire crew off of the ship, including the captain, leaving the ship behind because there's nothing that they can do with the ship. So the whole crew gets rescued and they leave the boat floating around, drifting around in the middle of the ocean. Now, this is rare that this actually takes place. When this happens, that ship is referred to, quote unquote, a ghost ship. So this ghost ship begins floating and drifting through the ocean with nobody on it. Well, there's the owner of the ship, and he's like, well, that's not cool. I own that ship. I want to go get my ship back. So he puts together a recovery team. The recovery team takes another ship out there. They track down the ship in the middle of the ocean. They connect the working ship to the bad ship, and they start tugging it back all the way to, to, to where the harbor would be. Now, along the way, a group of modern-day pirates hijacked the ship that they were tugging. Now, I'm not talking pirates like, with eye patches. I'm talking guys with machine guns and grenades, right? Like, these guys are crazy. Modern-day pirates actually exist. So these pirates get on the broken ship, not realizing that it's broken. Well, the guys that are in the recovery team are like, we're not going to stick around and ask questions and try to become friends with these pirates. We're out of here. So they cut the ropes and they take off, leaving the pirates on the ghost ship. That doesn't work. So the pirates try to get it working. They can't get it working, so they have to phone a friend. I guess pirates have friends. I don't know. And so the pirates get a, a rescue team to come and rescue them. They leave the ship, and now the ship goes back to floating through the ocean again, once, it became, uh, once again becoming a ghost ship. So for the last two years, this ship has been floating around drifting. Even the owner is like, you know what? I'm done. I'm not going to go back and get it. Nobody's going after this ship. It's just floating, drifting through the ocean. It drifted all the way up the coast of Africa. It drifted past Spain, and it drifted all the way north to the coast of Ireland. And perhaps you saw in national news last week, this ship finally, here's a picture of it. It landed on the coast of Ireland. There's the ghost ship. And so there's, a, there's an interesting international shipping law that says if a ship washes ashore in your country, that country is now responsible for the ship. So even the owner is like, well, I'm not coming to get it. These guys in Ireland now have to, have to take care of this problem. So now Ireland is trying to figure out what do we do with the ship that we've just inherited. Now, this is very rare that ghost ships ever take place, that, that ships are set loose on the ocean with no crew, no captain. But this whole story, it kind of reminds me of how oftentimes many families interact today in 2020. Here's what I mean by that. Oftentimes, our families, there's no leadership from dad, 
No leadership from mom. It's almost like several of the families, many of the families throughout the United States, it's almost like your, your family is a ghost ship. You know, we're just going to go wherever the wind takes us. Wherever the current takes us, we drift this way, we drift this way. There's a lack of direction and intentionality, but that's not how God has intended our families to operate. We started the series called Drift a couple weeks ago, and when we started it, there's a theme verse that we've been coming back to every week. That theme verse is Hebrews 6.19. It says this, We have this hope as an anchor for the soul, firm and secure. Our hope is an anchor. What's the hope in? It's in God's Word. God doesn't want us to continue drifting. He doesn't want us to drift away from important people in our lives. We need to be closer. He doesn't want us divided. He wants us united. Look at what Jesus says about following after God's word. Luke eleven twenty eight. Jesus says this. Blessed rather are those who hear the word of God and obey it. This morning, millions of people around the world are going to churches, just like Pinion Hills. Millions of people are hearing from pastors and preachers and and reverends and all these different people that are preaching the gospel, preaching the Bible. Yet millions of people are going to hear the word, but do nothing with it. Jesus says you will be blessed when you don't just hear the word, but when you also obey it. Keyword and in there. You've got to hear and obey. You want to be blessed? Hear the word and obey what it says. So a couple weeks ago when we started talking about in this series, this drift series, we talked about marriage. And, and, you know, God's word is very clear. He doesn't want you to divide. He doesn't want you to be drifting away from your spouse. He wants you to be connected to your spouse. Don't drift away from your spouse. I heard a story recently of a husband and wife who were getting ready for bed. They're in their master bathroom and the wife is looking at her reflection in the mirror and her husband's standing right next to him, next to her. She's looking at her reflection. She says, honey... I feel fat and ugly. Will you give me a compliment? So the husband looks at her and says, Well, honey, at least you have perfect vision. (laughs) Not good. You're not supposed to drift away from your spouse. You're supposed to be unified with your spouse. You should be your spouse's greatest encourager. If, if you've ever drifted away, or perhaps you're drifting away from your spouse right now, here's a good verse for you. 1 Corinthians 13, 7 says, Love always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. That's something that's good for you to be anchored to. Don't be divided. Be united with your spouse. That's what we talked about two weeks ago. If you are married and you missed the, the sermon uh, two weeks ago, I would encourage you to go back and watch the replay of the live stream at phcc.church. Last week, we talked about friendship. And about how oftentimes people drift away from their friends. That's not what God wants for us. He wants to have godly friends that we can do life with. I came across a meme recently, a picture on the internet that says this. I'm convinced this guy has no friends at all. He says this. My idea of a good weekend, I'm going to Walmart's parking lot to put sticky notes on the windshields that say, sorry for the damage, and then watch people look for it. sounds like something I would do. But if you do that every single weekend, you need a life. You need a friend. We're not supposed to do life alone and just put sticky notes on everybody's windows and that's what we do every Friday night. We need friends. Solomon says this about godly friends in Proverbs 18.24. He says, there is a friend who sticks closer than a brother. 
You don't need thousands of friends. You don't need thousands of followers. If you have two or three, a cord of three strands is not easily broken. We're called to have friendships with people. That's why I'm so excited from last Wednesday. Hundreds, or about 200 people, almost 200 people showed up for our life group kickoff here at Pinion Hills. That's almost 200 people that came together and said, hey, you know what? I want to be a friend and I want a friend. As iron sharpens iron, we should do this thing together. And almost 200 people showed up and said, I'm going to work and develop on friendship. I'm so thankful for that. If you were one of those people, don't not show up. God wants us to do life with other people. He wants us to have friends in our lives. So that's what we talked about last week. We talked about friendship. Well, today, we're talking about the relationships that oftentimes parents have with their kids and how oftentimes parents and their kids and the family begin to drift apart. Now, you know, I know, oftentimes families are messy. I came across a quote recently. Maybe you can empathize with this quote. It says this, only some of my family drives me crazy. The rest drives me certifiably insane. <laughs> No, that's not my quote. I just pulled that out. I just found that quote. So mom, if you're watching from Oklahoma right now, I'm, dad, if you're watching, my sisters, if you're watching, I'm not referring to you. I'm just quoting other people. But perhaps you can empathize as well. Maybe you've had drama or issues or concerns in your family. And if you ever have, here's the good news. You're not alone. A lot of people have family problems. They have problems, parents, problems with their kids, problems with family dynamics. This isn't anything new. This has happened from the beginning of time. In fact, if you look at the first family ever, there's dynamics of messiness in that family. In fact, if you have your Bibles, turn to Genesis chapter 4. We're going to look at the first family ever. Now, as you're turning to Genesis chapter 4 in your Bible or in your version app, you can follow along with me. But as you're turning there, uh, let me clarify what I'm referring to when I'm talking about the first family. I'm not referring to the president's family. I'm not talking to the, about the Trumps. I don't even know why we call the president's family the first family. The Obamas weren't the first family. The Bushes weren't the first family. Even the Washingtons weren't the first family. First family, Adam and Eve. That's the first family. So that's what we're going to be looking at. Genesis chapter 4, verse 1. We're looking at the real first family. Here's where we jump in. Adam made love to his wife Eve. Bow, chicka, bow, bow. <laughs> Adam made love to his wife Eve, and she became pregnant and gave birth to Cain. And Eve said, with the help of the Lord, I have brought forth a man. Now, the name Cain literally means acquired. She named her son acquired. Adam and Eve have acquired a son. Now, think about this for a second. There's never been a baby born up to this point ever. Adam and Eve, first humans on earth, right? First baby ever. They acquired a baby, and I'm sure they're excited, even though they're way underprepared to have this baby. Reminds me of when my wife was pregnant with our first child, Michaela. It's almost seven years ago or so. And, and when, when she was pregnant, we had no idea what to expect. We're first-time parents. What do we know about any of this? I remember it was almost nine months or so. My wife has a huge belly the size of like a Texas watermelon. I mean, she's big. <laughs> Excuse me, you're pregnant. <laughs> Just calling it how it is. Perfect vision. <laughs> she's big, she's got a big belly, right? She's pregnant, so it's almost nine months. She's sitting on the couch, she says, Honey, I think my water broke. I said, well, how do you know your water broke? She said, well, I think it broke. I said, well, wouldn't you know if your water broke? She said, well, it's either that or I peed my pants. I don't know. It's one of the two. <laughs> well, we're first-time parents. What do we know? And so I was like, well, let's go to the hospital. Let's just make sure. So we, we go to the hospital. And now this time, you know, for our first child, it wasn't like a 911. We weren't screaming through the streets like we were about a year and a half ago with our son Noah or, or with Bennett, our, our third child. Uh, that was crazy. I mean, I was at that point, third kid, I'm honking the horn. I'm, get out of my way or my wife's going to shoot you. Like, you know, but it wasn't like that for our first kid. We were like, I, we don't even know if this is when we're supposed to go to the hospital because we've never done this before. So I'm casually driving. We're in Albuquerque. I'm driving to the hospital in Albuquerque and I'm stopping all the red lights, you know, checking my watch. I even watched a YouTube video at one of the red lights to teach me how to do Lamaze because I didn't know. So, so I'm sitting there and we, we finally get to the hospital. 
We get to the hospital, and uh, my wife walks into the hospital. She doesn't even need a wheelchair, so we walk in, and she says, I, I think my water broke. She says that to the nurse. And the nurse says, well, let's, let's do a test. We have a test for that, so we can, we can test the fluid, and she does the test. It's not urine. It's uh, amniotic fluid. You're going to have a baby. And so the nurse looks at us and says, you're not leaving this hospital without a baby. And I was like, huh. I wasn't prepared for that. I thought I was just going to check the box, say, you know, this isn't one of the things that we do, and go back home and watch the rest of Netflix or whatever. I didn't know that we were actually going to spend the night in the hospital. It's like 10 o'clock, 11 o'clock at night or so. And so my wife, uh, because her, her water has broken, shortly thereafter, she starts having contractions. And she's you know, becomes pretty much possessed at this point. <laughs> so, get me medicine, get me my epidural. Little did I know that that would be a theme throughout the rest of our marriage and all of our kids. She needs happy juice, right? So the anesthesiologist comes in, gives her the happy juice, shoots it into her spine, and she's like, oh, I love life again. <laughs> so they check us into the room. They lay up my wife on her hospital bed, and it's about 10 or 11 o'clock at night or so. She winds up passing out. She falls asleep. And I'm watching her, and I've got this little cot or, you know, whatever in the hospital room, and she's like, well, she's asleep, so I can sleep too, right? So I put out a little blanket, a little sheet, fall asleep. About 7 o'clock in the morning, a nurse comes in. She says, Ashton, I'm just here to check on you, just here to check on you. So she goes and opens Ashton's legs, and she's like, <gasps> the baby's crowning. And I'm like, I'm just waking up. I'm like, what's that mean, crowning? I don't even know what that means. So, so the nurse yells out, doctors, nurses, babies, crowning, get in here. So this whole team of all these people come in, they're flipping on the lights, and I'm like, what's happening? Well, I was just counting sheep. I was on like 982 just a second ago. So I go up to my wife's head. I'm like, okay, I'm sorry for the morning breath. I just woke up. You just woke up. Baby's crowning. I think that means baby's about to come. So I was like, all right, let's do this thing. You got this. Push it out. Shove it out. Way out. Push it out. Shove it out. Way out. <laughs> so I'm like right by her head. So like her body's going that way. And I'm like, you can do this. I know we just woke up, but you can do it. It's like 7.05 right now. You can do this. Well, then the nurse says, dad. I'm like, huh? She's like, can you hold this? And I look over, she's holding Ashton's leg. She says, can you hold the leg? Not like severed off. It's not like that kind of story. It's connected to her. But I'm by her head and she's holding her leg. My wife's doing this like praying mantis pose with her legs going up in the air and her feet. I'm like, what? I didn't even know you could do this. So I'm, I'm by her head and I'm like, oh, I didn't know I was supposed to hold a leg. And then I'm thinking in my mind, where's the blue tarp? Isn't there supposed to be a blue tarp between here and there? Like, isn't there supposed to be a barrier? I've seen Grey's Anatomy. I've seen ER. Where's the blue tarp? Turns out you only get a blue tarp for a C-section. This was, wasn't a C-section. This is all natural, right? Like I'm holding a lead looking bird's eye view about this baby coming out. I'm like, where's the blue tarp? I want a blue tarp. <laughs> Apparently you got to bring your own blue tarp if you want the blue tarp. BYOBT if you want to bring your own blue tarp for the, for the delivery. So I got no blue tarp. Well, what do I know? This is my first kid. So I'm holding a leg and I'm watching the miracle of life take place. <laughs> I'm like, oh, I'm, I might pass out. <laughs> And so baby comes out, they're holding the umbilical cord, the nurse hands me scissors, dad cut here, I cut there, and she's like, dad, now sit down, because you're about to pass out. And I'm like, thank you, thank you. <laughs> I go sit down. I was that close to passing out. Now, I've learned a lot through three kids. We've learned a lot since then, but can you imagine for Adam and Eve? <laughs> no training, no classes, no YouTube videos, no Lamas, no nurse helping out Adam. Hey, Adam, hold this leg. Hey, go find a blue tarp somewhere. Go make one out of leaves. No, no help at all. No epidural, no medicine. They're having to figure this all out. 
first parents ever, first family ever. But can you imagine the baby comes out? Adam's probably holding that baby thinking, what in the world is this? Is this like a little alien that just came out of your belly? What is this thing? It's got fingers and toes and it looks like me. First baby ever. And that baby begins to grow. And I'm sure it's starting to make sense to Adam and Eve, even though they've never seen a baby before Cain. We get to raise this child. We get to raise this boy. Shortly thereafter, they have a second son, and they name him Abel, which is Hebrew for, for son. Now they have two sons. And I'm sure as these boys start to rise up and start to grow a little bit older, Adam and Eve are like, yeah, we're, we've made humans. <laughs> we've, we made that. We did that. We're like We've got sons. We've got these boys. We're going to grow them up. We're the first family ever. I'm sure they had hopes and dreams and aspirations for their boys. But it, just perhaps like you have in your family, families are messy. And Adam and Eve began to see just how messy his family can be. We continue on in the story, Genesis chapter 4, verse 2. These boys grew up. Cain and Abel grew up. Now Abel kept flocks and Cain worked the soil. In the course of time, Cain brought some of the fruits of the soil as an offering to the Lord. And Abel also brought an offering, fat portions from some of the firstborn of his flock. The Lord looked with favor on Abel and his offering, but on Cain and his offering, he did not look with favor. Now you might be thinking, well, why did God look at favor Look with favor for, At or for Abel, but not for Cain's offering. Why did he like Abel's offering, but not Cain's? Well, it's not that clear in Genesis 4, but we have a little clarity in, in Hebrews chapter 11. Fast forward to the New Testament, read along with me. By faith, Abel brought God a better offering than Cain did. By faith, Abel was commended as righteous when God spoke well of his offerings. Here's what theologians will teach based on this section, based on Genesis 4. They basically make the argument, Abel gave God some of the best of the best of what he had to offer. Cain gave to God, but not the best. Quite frankly, this is a reminder for you and I too, isn't it? Because sometimes we don't give God the best of the best. He says, I, I want you to, to give generously your time and your talent and your treasures. Some of us, we give the leftovers, if we give anything at all. We are called to give out of a cheerful Heart. Look at what it says in 2 Corinthians 9, 7. Each of you should give what you have decided to give from your heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. Theologians will say, Abel was a cheerful giver. He gave some of the best of the best of what he had to give back to God. Cain was not a cheerful giver. It was a matter of the heart. So God preferred Abel's offering, because he was giving the best of the best of what he had to offer, God did not prefer Cain's offering. Well, Cain gets wind of this. He finds out that God likes his brother's offering and not his. So Cain gets angry. Cain begins to ra raise some Cain. <laughs> Genesis 4-5. Cain was very angry, and his face was downcast. Then the Lord said to Cain, why are you angry? Why is your face downcast? If you do what is right, will you not be accepted? But if you do not do what is right, sin is crouching at your door. It desires to have you, but you must rule over it. Basically, God is saying, hey, look, if you do what's right, good things happen. If you do what's wrong, bad things happen. If you do what's right, you'll be blessed. If you do what's wrong, you will face a test. This is oftentimes what we say to our kids too, right? Hey, if you, if you do the, the good thing, good things happen. If you do a bad thing, Bad things happen. That's all God's trying to tell Cain. You have a choice, Cain. If you do what's right, good stuff happens. If you do what's wrong, sin is crouching at your door. You're going to mess things up in your life. So do what's right. So Cain has, a, Cain has a choice. Do I do what's right or do I do what's wrong? Oftentimes the same choice that you and I have. He, unfortunately, decides to do what is wrong. We continue on in the story. Genesis 4, 8. Now Cain said to his brother Abel, Hey, Abel, 
Let's go out to the field. When they're on the field, Cain attacked his brother Abel and killed him. Things just got real for the first family. Verse 9, the Lord said to Cain, where is your brother Abel? Cain replies, I don't know. Am I my brother's keeper? <laughs> now, two problems with that statement from Cain to God. One, he's lying. He knows where he is. He killed his brother. But two, he's sarcastic. He's talking back to God. It's one thing if you talk back to mom or dad or a principal or a teacher or a police officer or a judge, anybody that's an authority over your life. But talking back to God, whoo, sketchy, right? Verse 10, the Lord said, what have you done, Cain? Listen, your brother's blood cries out to me from the ground, and now you are under a curse driven from the ground, which opened its mouth to receive your brother's blood from, the, from your hand. When you work the ground, Cain, it will no longer yield its crops for you. You will be a restless wanderer on the earth. And just like that, boom, Cain faces a punishment. He's never successful in anything that he does. He becomes a restless wanderer on earth. Now think about this through the lens of Adam and Eve. They were so excited. We're the first family ever. First kids, first babies ever. This is so excited. We got two boys, Cain and Abel. But then these boys grow up, and their first son murders their second son. And as a punishment, the first son is banished, becomes a restless water, wanderer, and, and is removed from the family. Think about how Adam and Eve must be feeling. Like This is not what we thought parenting would be like. We were so excited to hold the first baby ever, but look what our babies did. One killed the other and then get punished, and now we don't have either son? This could not have been what Adam and Eve were hoping for in their family. Now, maybe your family situation isn't a carbon copy. Maybe it's not exactly the same. But maybe there's dynamics in your family. Maybe, maybe your kids, moms, dads, maybe your kids have done some things and said some things or whatever. They, maybe you've just looked at your parenting and your family you're like, this is not what I envisioned. This isn't what I dreamed. I'm not experiencing the, the hopes and the dreams and the aspirations that once upon a time I had. And oftentimes when things go differently in families, sometimes dads, sometimes moms, they check out. You know, this is different than what I thought, so you know what, I'm, I'm out. I'm not going to even bother leading these children anymore. I'm not going to try anymore. And what happens is that the entire family unit becomes to be like a ghost ship. Just floating, drifting, wherever time takes us, wherever the currents take us, wherever the wind takes us. We'll just go, we'll just drift. Because nobody's leading anymore. There's no intentionality anymore. But that's not what God's plan is. Now here's the reality. You can't force your children to do anything. You're not responsible for any other human, even your kids on the face of the planet. You are responsible for you. As much as we would like to force our children to do this instead of that, or choose this instead of that, they have their own decisions to make. You can't force anybody to do anything. The only thing that you're able to do is be responsible for yourself. So if you're responsible for yourself, you are called to be a leader, a guide, a shepherd in your family, moms and dads. You're not called to check out and just turn your family into a ghost ship and wherever it drifts, it goes. Wherever the wind takes us, we go there. You are called to be intentional about leading your kids. So how do you do that? There's a couple different things that we see in God's word that helps us be grounded, helps us be anchored to God's word to be godly parents. So if you're a parent, I want to encourage you to take notes. If you're not a parent, you're a kid. So you have a parent, so you can relate. <laughs> and maybe you can help other people who become parents or if you become a parent somewhere down the road. So here's four anchors, four things that will help you become a godly parent. Number one is this, be a godly example. Be a godly example. What I mean by that is, dad, you be a godly example. Mom, you be a godly example. You be the example. Now, here's what happens oftentimes. Parents will bring their kids into the Pinion Hills Academy or a Christian school, drop their kids off, and I hope the teachers, the principals, I, I hope the administration teaches my kid about God, about Jesus, about the Bible. 
hope you do that because I'm not really comfortable doing that at home. I don't really know how to talk about spiritual things, about faith in my home. So I'm hoping the school does it. Or they drop their kids off in the children's ministry here in the church. I hope the leaders and the staff of the church will help they'll handle it, teach them all the Bible songs and the Bible stories because we're not doing that at home. Or maybe you drop your teenager off in the student ministry. I hope the youth pastor takes care of it. This was my problem. The teenager was my problem. But now it's your problem. You fix my kid. Just like it's, you know, the ghost ship that lands on the, the coast of Ireland. You're your problem now, Ireland. <laughs> That's not how God has intended it. There's nothing wrong with dropping your kid off at student ministry or the children's ministry or the academy. There's nothing wrong with plugging your kid into an environment where they're going to learn and grow. But if that's the only place that they learn and grow about God, about faith, about spirituality, there's a problem. Because God's called you to lead and guide and shepherd your children. He's called you to be an example. This is why it drives me crazy. When I see on social media, or I see on news, parents that are publicly humiliating their kids to make a point. Here's the scenario. A kid, let's say little Johnny, is a bully in school. And in as a punishment, mom and dad get him a little poster board, and they force him to write, I am a bully, and this is my punishment. I have to stand here because I am a bully, so you can bully me. And then they make that kid hold that sign at the corner of a busy intersection outside of the mall or the Walmart as a punishment to the kid. Now, if you've ever done this to your child, I understand what you're trying to do. What you're trying to do is help them understand what the pain feels like so they don't want to do it anymore. I get that. Parents, you've also probably taught your kid from when they were a little poquito, a little child, <laughs> you've probably taught them for years, two wrongs don't make a... Since when is it okay to teach your kid to not sin by sinning against your kid? Since when is it okay for you to say, you know what, you shouldn't have done this. So to teach you a lesson, to give you a taste of your own medicine, I'm going to do the same thing that you shouldn't have done, and I'm going to do to you what you've done to others to help you understand. That's not biblical. That's not scriptural. Look at what is scriptural. In Ephesians chapter 6, 4, it says this, Do not provoke your children to anger by the way that you treat them. Rather, bring them up with the discipline and instruction that comes from the Lord. Now notice it says you still have to discipline your child. He who spares the rod hates his son, right? You still have to discipline your child. But is there a better way than publicly humiliating your child? For all the things that you've done wrong, all the sins you've committed, does God publicly humiliate you? No, he does quite the opposite, actually. He sent his one and only son, Jesus, to be publicly humiliated on your behalf. So does God ever say, hey, you know what? You shouldn't have done this, so I'm going to sin to teach you a lesson of the things you shouldn't have done. <laughs> God doesn't do that. He says, he says it's a matter of a heart. You, you shouldn't be okay. You shouldn't justify your sins. Look at what it says in 2 Corinthians 7.10. Godly sorrow brings repentance that leads to salvation and leaves no regret. But worldly sorrow brings death. There's a difference between godly sorrow and worldly sorrow. Worldly sorrow is somebody gets caught in a sin and they're sad they got caught. They're sorry they got caught. They're embarrassed, and they're ashamed, and they're humiliated. So that's what they're sorry about. They're not sorry for what they've done wrong. They're sorry about the consequences that they're experiencing because of what they've done wrong. That's worldly sorrow. Godly sorrow is somebody that says, you know what, I don't really even care about the consequences. I'm sorry for what I've actually done. 
There's a difference between godly sorrow and worldly sorrow. When you, when you have your kids standing on the side of the road, you're emphasizing the worldly sorrow. You're helping them understand, I'm feeling humiliated, I'm feeling sad because of my feelings and what I'm going through. But they're not really, they're not really paying attention to the godly sorrow and focusing on what they've done wrong. We need to be the example, parents. We can't be the example by doing wrong things to our kids and hoping that they get the message and hoping they read between the lines that you shouldn't do what I'm doing to you. We need to do to them what they should do to others. We need to treat them with respect. We need to lead them in a godly way. I'll give you a positive example. A couple of weeks ago, a gentleman from this congregation comes up to me and says, Matt, I, I want to get baptized. Grown man. He says, I want to get baptized. I was baptized as a little kid in the Catholic church. They sprinkled me, but mom and dad made that choice on my behalf. I didn't make that choice. So now it's my choice. I want to get baptized. So a couple weeks ago, we scheduled a baptism. I said, we have got baptisms coming up on March 1st. If you want to be a part of the baptisms for, for the whole church. He said, well, I just want to make the decision. I just want to get baptized now. I said, fine, fair enough. Let's do it. So we scheduled a few weeks ago, time for him to get baptized. We're going to baptize him out in the plaza. Morning of, he comes up to me and says, Matt, I want to delay. I said, well, why do you want to delay? You said you wanted to do it sooner rather than later. He said, yeah, but my kids, they're, they're growing they're in college. I want them to witness it. I want them to come back. I want to reschedule. So last Sunday was when we, we rescheduled. And his, his kids were in college. They, they all came back so they could witness this father getting baptized. I had the privilege and the opportunity of going into the, the baptismal tank. And, and this gentleman walks in. He gets baptized. And wouldn't you know it? His son walks into the baptismal tank. And I baptized dad. Dad baptized his son. Yeah. Moms and dads, be the example. Somebody else should be the example for your family. You, you be the example. That's the first anchor. First anchor of God's truth. If you want to be a godly parent, that's the first one. Be the godly example. Number two is this. You can write this down. Speak as one voice. Speak as one voice. Now here's, here's what's difficult sometimes. When dad says to a kid, hey, here's what you're going to do. And mom says, no, you could do something else. When there's two signals, when there's two messages coming to the kid, the kid's going to be confused. Who do I listen to? Mom or dad? Who's right? Who's wrong? I don't know. And here's what happens. When you have two different messages coming to one kid, that kid's going to tune them both out. He's not going to listen to either one of you. And that kid is going to be confused growing up. And he's not going to follow either one of your direction or leadership. You got to be one voice. Get behind closed doors, moms and dads. Get behind closed doors and try to figure this out. There's a situation. How do you discipline? How do you go through this? Call a friend, call a mentor, find out how you work with this in a biblical way, and then come outside of those doors as a unified front. Come out as one voice to your kids so you're not confusing your kid. Look at what Jesus says in Matthew 12, 25. He says, every kingdom divided against itself will be ruined, and every city or household divided against itself will not stand. You don't want to be divided in your home. You've got to have one voice. You've got to be a unified front. And I'll be honest with you, where this is most difficult is in divorced families. Dad lives over here. Mom lives over here. Some of the time for the kids gets spent with dad. Some of it gets spent with mom. And dad trashes mom. Oh, I can't believe she does things that she does. And she, he'll say this in front of the kids, right? You don't have to listen to her in my house. This is how we do things. And then she says, well, your dad doesn't know what he's talking about. In our house, this is how we do things. And there's this pointing fingers back and forth, and the kids hearing all of it. Moms, dads, even if you're divorced, even if your relationship is crumbled for whatever reason, for the sake of your child, can you be one voice? Can you humble yourself? Can you compromise? Can you, can you meet together and say, hey, I know we've gone different directions, but can we, for the sake of our child and leading our child in the way they should go, can we be a unified front, even though we're not together anymore? You've got to speak as one 
voice. That's the second anchor. First anchor is this, be a godly example. Anchor number two is speak as one voice. Anchor number three is this, value the gift. Value the gift. Now you might be thinking, well, what gift? The little ashtray that my kid made when they were in kindergarten? No, not that. Value the gift of your child, period. Friends, children are a gift from God. Look what David says, Psalm 127.3. Children are a gift from the Lord. They are a reward from him. Children are a gift. They're a reward. Now, I'll be honest. Sometimes that's hard to remember. (laughs) In the heat of the moment, when your kids are screaming, when they're doing silly, stupid stuff, it's sometimes hard to remember that they're a gift. I don't know if your parents would say you were a gift. (laughs) My parents said I was a gift. Shoot, they named me gift of God. That's what Matthew means in Hebrew. It means gift of God. Too bad I didn't always live up to my namesake, right? I remember when I was uh, shopping as a little kid with my mom. We went into a grocery store. We're looking at the cereal aisle. Thousands of boxes of cereal. She says, Matt, what cereal would you like? And I said, I think I want Honey Nut Cheerios. And she says, well, I'm sick of Honey Nut Cheerios. And I said, well, I'm sick of you. She says, wait till your father comes home. I said, no, 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 no. I don't want a spanking from him. His, his spanking is hurt. You spanked me, mom. Because I would fake cry when my mom spanked me to make it seem like it hurt when it didn't. You spanked me, mom. I'm sure, even though my name was literally, is literally gift of God, I'm sure my parents had to reassure themselves <laughs> quite frequently. Children are a gift from God. I heard about a story of a father who, who tucked his son in for bed one night. And said, good night, turn off the lights. Five minutes later, the son yells out, Dad? Father yells back, what? Can you bring me a glass of water? Dad yells back, no, I already put you to bed. You had your chance, turn off the lights, go to sleep. Five minutes later, Dad? What? Can you bring me a glass of water? Son, I already told you no. If you ask me one more time, I'm going to come in there and spank you. No, good, good night. Keep the lights off. Five minutes later, Dad, what? When you come in to spank me, can you bring me some water? <laughs> Children are a gift from the Lord. Perhaps you need to remind yourself of this over and over and over. Perhaps you need to have a mantra. Perhaps you need to write sticky notes all over your car and your mirrors and your your house. Children are a gift from the Lord. Maybe you need to write it on a chalkboard. Children are a gift. Children are a gift. Children are a gift. Maybe you need to make yourself a selfie video. Children are a gift. I'm reminding me to remind you to tell me in the video, children are a gift. Maybe you even had to do that this morning. Maybe things are pandemonium in your house on a Sunday morning. Maybe things get crazy. Maybe the little brother pulled sister's ponytail. She got mad, took out her anger, and the cat kicks the cat. Cat hawks up a hairball. The baby comes by, picks up the hairball, and eats it. You're like, ah, what's happening in my house? Children are a gift from the Lord. <laughs> Maybe you've got teenagers in your house. And, and at one point, your, your kids were loving, and they would snuggle you, and you're the best gift ever. And then something happened, and that something that happened was called puberty. It's called hormones. Teenager comes in, slams the door behind him in your house. Mom, I hate you! What? What did I do? Why have an iPhone 7, and all my friends have iPhones 11s, and you obviously don't love me, and I have to do with this, and I have to be in this house with you! Ah! 
children are a gift from the Lord. <laughs> maybe your parents or maybe your kids are grown. Maybe your, your kids have moved on and they're in their own careers, they're with their own families, but something, was happen, hap, something happened, something was said, and maybe you don't have much of a relationship anymore. You've gone in different directions. And even though you struggle, moms and dads, with the fact that you're not as close with your kids as you once were, you've got to remind yourself that children are a gift from the Lord. This is why I'm so adamant against abortion. Because I understand a young couple that might come and say, hey, we found out we're pregnant, but we can't afford this child, and this is unexpected, and, and we don't look at this child as, as a gift. And I understand that, but I also understand there's other couples that are like, well, we'll take it. <laughs> we'll take that gift. We will treasure that child. We will lead that child. We will grow that child. We will do everything we can. That would be a precious gift to our family. Please let us keep the gift. That's why I don't understand why, why families discard these gifts and just throw them away and they abort these babies. That's why I love this organization in town called Grace Place here in Farmington, New Mexico. Grace Place is an organization that helps train and equip parents to view the child that they're about to have as a gift. Listen to this mission statement of Grace Place. Grace Place Pregnancy and Health Center exists to offer unconditional care and support with pregnancy issues and healthy lifestyle choices, affirming life in every situation. I love that last part of the phrase, affirming life in every situation. What Grace Place staff does is that they affirm life. It doesn't matter how you got pregnant. It doesn't matter about all the guilt and the shame that you might have. Hey, we want to affirm life. The baby growing inside you, mama, is a gift. It's a valuable gift. And they speak with moms and dads all throughout the year. Look at some of these statistics from just last year alone, 2019 from Grace Place. In 2019, they conducted 285 pregnancy tests. Free pregnancy tests for girls. They did 93 ultrasounds. Now, they found that when they can show on a screen through an ultrasound, a mom and a dad, a, this baby that's growing inside her, that they finally start to realize that's a gift. It's a life. They're valuing life. So if they could show a picture of the baby, maybe moms who are considering abortion will, will rethink. In 2019, 44 moms came in to Grace Place who were abortion-minded. Yet get this, of the 44, 42 of them chose life. Praise God. It gets even sweeter because Grace Place has been around for about 30 years or so. And as they've been around for three decades, some of those kids that have been saved as a result of their work and the effort of these people, these volunteers, the staff at Grace Place, some of them have grown up. Go figure. They're humans. They grow up. And, and when they come back, some of them come back to Grace Place. And they get to say to the very staff member who helped convince their mom and dad that they were a gift, they get to say, thank you. Thank you for helping my mom and dad see that I'm worth something. Thank you for helping my mom and dad see that I have value, that life is important, that life is a gift. Thank you because I'm alive to tell you thanks. What a gift that is for the people that work at Grace Place, for the volunteers that are there. I've invited Grace Place. They have a table set up out in the plaza this morning. If you want to go and be one of those volunteers, perhaps years down the road, somebody comes back to you and says, hey, thanks, I'm alive because of you. You want to volunteer there? Go sign up. They'd be happy to have you. If you don't have the time to invest, maybe you can be a part of a walk they have coming up mid-April. All the funds are going to support Grace Place and the initiative that they have in trying to help couples, help moms and dads realize that children are a gift. Sometimes we have to be reminded children are a gift. Three anchors so far. Be the godly example. Number two, speak as one voice. Number three, value the gift. The fourth and final anchor that we're going to talk about this morning is this. Take the time. 
take the time. I get, I get you're busy. I get you have a career. I get you have a life. Here's what I don't want for you. I don't want you to get to the end of your life and look back and have regrets. I want you to get to the end of your life and look back and be like, man, I would have or I should have or I could have with my kid. I should have invested more time, but I didn't. I was so concerned about my job. I was so concerned about making a buck. I was so concerned about buying this and this and this and having all these toys that, quite frankly, nobody cares about anymore. I missed the opportunity. I missed the calling that God has for me. Don't get to the end of your life and have regrets. Just a couple weeks ago, City of Farmington put on a a citywide daddy-daughter dance. And in this daddy-daughter dance, they invite people all throughout San, San Juan County. And they come together. I think it was two or 300 guys, two or 300 dads that, that invited their daughters to go on a daddy-daughter dance. And, and last year, I couldn't be a part of it. But this year is my first time taking my, my six-year-old Michaela on a daddy-daughter date. And I was so excited. I had my camera out. I was like filming everything. My wife was filming some stuff. And we, we merged some, some of that footage together and made kind of a little bit of a recap of this daddy-daughter dance, at least my experience, because this is the same experience for many other dads in our community. I want to share that with you this morning. Check out this video. I'm not a perfect dad. If you were to ask my kids, I'm not a perfect dad. I'm not a perfect husband. You can ask my wife, she'll give you the whole laundry list of why I'm not a perfect husband. But I'm just a guy that loves Jesus. And I don't want to get to the end of my life saying, I wish I had, or I could have, or I should have, or I, I would have. But I didn't take the time to invest in my family or my kids. I don't want you to get to the end of your life and have those regrets either. See, the, the interesting thing is that When we don't do these things that I'm talking about, when we're not the example that we need to be, we're not speaking as one voice, when we're not valuing the gift, and when we're not taking the time, 
We're not putting God as the foundation on our family. Look at what Jesus says. Matthew 19, 14. Jesus said, Let the little children come to me, and do not hinder them, for the kingdom of heaven belongs to such as these. Jesus is saying, hey, disciples, don't keep the children away from me. I want to invest time. I want to take the time for the kids. And get this, they weren't even Jesus' kids. How much more important is it for us as parents to invest in our own children? Jesus says, bring the children to me. I want to take the time. But then he says, do not hinder them. Here's the sad reality, moms and dads. Sometimes what hinders your kid from meeting Jesus is you. When you say, I'm I'm not going to be intentional. I'm not going to lead my family. We're just going to be a ghost ship floating wherever we go. But there's not leadership. There's not intentionality. When, When you are not having God as a foundation in your family, you might be hindering your kids from experiencing Jesus. But when the opposite is true, when you say, you know what, I want to be a godly parent. I'm going to do everything I possibly can. I'm going to be the godly example. I'm going to to speak as one voice. I'm going to value the gift, and I'm going to take the time. When you're doing that, you are bringing the foundation of the, the, the gospel, foundation of the Bible into your home. And you're introducing your kids to Jesus. You're leading them in the way they should go. When you ignore that calling... Who knows where your family's going to go? Who knows where your kids are going to go? You're not responsible for their actions, but you can lead them, guide them, shepherd them. Do not hinder your kids from meeting Jesus because of how you lead in your home. Dad, stop hindering your kids. Mom, stop hindering your kids. Do not be the reason that your kid doesn't meet Jesus. You be intentional. Be the dad that you're called to be. Be the mom that you're called to be. Step up. Be the example. Don't let somebody else take that calling. You you step up. You be the example. Lead them with what they should do, not with what they shouldn't do. Does that mean you're perfect? No. But you could be an example to them. Speak as one voice. Stop trying to give mixed signals and mixed confusing statements to your kids. Speak as one unified voice. Value the gift that your children are. Sometimes we lose sight of that. Sometimes we forget that our children are a gift. We realize it when they're babies, and then as they get older, sometimes we lose sight. Remember and remind yourself your children are a gift, and because of that, take the time to invest and pour in. Don't get to the end of your life thinking, well, I should have invested more. Don't have regrets. Do everything you can to be a godly parent, and, and get this. If you're growing your family on the anchor of God's word, on the rock, and your kids grow up and have kids who have kids who have kids who have kids, you have started this whole family tree. Regardless of how the family tree was before you, you have planted this whole family tree on the rock that's connected to God's word. Your influence as a godly parent today might influence generations to come if you're willing to be obedient right now. My hope for you, moms and dads, You choose to be a godly parent. Don't just be unintentional. Don't give your leadership to somebody else. Be the godly example. Speak as one voice. Value the gift. And take the time. And let God do the rest. Let's pray. God, I thank you for every parent that's here. Every parent that's watching on the live stream right now. Sometimes we make excuses. Sometimes we make justifications for why we're not doing what we're supposed to be doing. But God, I I pray that the conviction that some people feel right now, that they have not been intentional, that they haven't been leading their families well, I pray that they change that. That they don't just come to church and hear the right things to do, but they choose to obey your word as well. I pray that we can all be parents. That we're we're the example in our home. That we take that leadership role seriously. That we speak as one voice. That we value the gift for children and who they really are in our lives and our family, and that we would take the time, that we would invest the time, that we would have a, a better sense of what our priorities should be and what they should not be. So God, 
mold us, challenge us. If there's anything that's ungodly in the way that we're parenting in our families right now, convict us of that. Whether our kids are little or they're old, God, convict us of how we can be better, more godly parents. And we say these things in Jesus' name. Amen.